Section 3 of Incidents of Travel in Central America, Chiapas and Yucatan, Volume 2, by John Lloyd Steffens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. I woke with the pilot's legs resting on my shoulder. It was a rather undignified position, but no one saw it. Before me was the volcano of Cosiguina, with its field of lava and its desolate shore, and not a living being was in sight except my sleeping boatman. Five years before, on the shores of the Mediterranean, and at the foot of Mount Etna, I read in a newspaper an account of the eruption of this volcano. Little did I then ever expect to see it, the most awful in the history of volcanic eruptions the noise of which startled the people of guatemala four hundred miles off and at kingston jamaica eight hundred miles distant was supposed to be signal guns of distress from some vessel at sea the face of nature was changed the cone of the volcano was gone a mountain and field of lava ran down to the sea a forest old as creation had entirely disappeared and two islands were formed in the sea shoals were discovered in one of which a large tree was fixed upside down one river was completely choked up and another formed running in an opposite direction seven men in the employ of my bungo proprietor ran down to the water pushed off in a bungo and were never heard of more wild beasts howling left their caves in the mountains and onces leopards and snakes fled for shelter to the abodes of men this eruption took place on the twentieth of january eighteen thirty five mr savage was on that day on the side of the volcano of san miguel distant one hundred and twenty miles looking for cattle at eight o'clock he saw a dense cloud rising in the south in a pyramidal form and heard a noise which sounded like the roaring of the sea very soon the thick clouds were lighted up by vivid flashes rose-colored and forked shooting and disappearing which he supposed to be some electrical phenomenon these appearances increased so fast that his men became frightened and said it was a ruina and that the end of the world was nigh very soon he himself was satisfied that it was the eruption of a volcano and as cosiguina was at that time a quiet mountain not suspected to contain subterraneous fires he supposed it to proceed from the volcano of tigris he returned to the town of san miguel and in riding three blocks felt three severe shocks of earthquake the inhabitants were distracted with terror. Birds flew wildly through the streets, and, blinded by the dust, fell dead on the ground. At four o'clock it was so dark that, as Mr. S. says, he held up his hand before his eyes and could not see it. Nobody moved without a candle, which gave a dim and misty light, extending only a few feet at this time the church was full and could not contain half who wished to enter the figure of the virgin was brought out into the plaza and borne through the streets 
followed by the inhabitants with candles and torches in penitential procession crying upon the lord to pardon their sins bells tolled and during the procession there was another earthquake so violent and long that it threw to the ground many people walking in the procession the darkness continued till eleven o'clock the next day when the sun was partially visible but dim and hazy and without any brightness the dust on the ground was four inches thick the branches of trees broke with its weight and people were so disfigured by it that they could not be recognized at this time mr s set out for his hacienda at zonzonate he slept at the first village and at two or three o'clock in the morning was roused by a report like the breaking of most terrific thunder or the firing of thousands of cannon this was the report which startled the people of guatemala when the commandant sallied out supposing that the quartel was attacked and which was heard at kingston in jamaica it was accompanied by an earthquake so violent that it almost threw mr s out of his hammock toward evening my men all woke the wind was fair but they took things quietly and after supper hoisted sail about twelve o'clock by an amicable arrangement i stretched myself on the pilot's bench under the tiller and when i woke we had passed the volcano of tigris and were in an archipelago of islands more beautiful than the islands of greece the wind died away and the boatmen after playing for a little while with the oars again let fall the big stone and went to sleep outside the awning the heat of the sun was withering and under it the closeness was suffocating and my poor mules had had no water since their embarkation in the confusion of getting away i had forgotten it till the moment of departure and then there was no vessel in which to carry it after giving them a short nap i roused the men and with the promise of a reward induced them to take to their oars fortunately before they got tired we had a breeze and at about four o'clock in the afternoon the big stone was dropped in the harbor of la union in front of the town one ship was lying at anchor a whaler from chile which had put in in distress and been condemned the commandant was don manuel romero one of morazan's veterans who was anxious to retire altogether from public life but remained in office because in his present straits he could be useful to his benefactor and friend he had heard of me and his attentions reminded me of what i sometimes forgot but which others very rarely did my official character he invited me to his house while i remained in la union but gave me intelligence which made me more anxious than ever to hurry on general morazan had left the port but a few days before having accompanied his family thither on their way to chile on his return to san salvador he intended to march directly against guatemala by forced marches i might overtake him and go up under the escort of his army trusting to chance to avoid being on the spot in case of a battle or from my acquaintance with carrera 
get passed across the lines. Fortunately, the captain of the condemned ship wished to go to San Salvador, and agreed to accompany me the next day. There were two strangers in the place, Captain R. of Honduras and Don Pedro, a mulatto, both of whom were particularly civil to me. In the evening my proposed traveling companion and I called upon them, and very soon a game of cards was proposed. The doors were closed, wine placed on the table, and Monte begun with doubloons. Captain R. and Don Pedro tried hard to make me join them, and when I rose to leave, Captain R., as if he thought there could be but one reason for my resisting, took me aside and said that if I wanted money he was my friend, while Don Pedro declared that he was not rich, but that he had a big heart, that he was happy of my acquaintance, he had had the honor to know a consul once before at Panama, and I might count upon him for anything I wanted. Gambling is one of the great vices of the country, and that into which strangers are most apt to fall. The captain had fallen in with a set at San Miguel, and these two had come down to the port expressly to fleece him. During the night, he detected them cheating, and telling them that he had learned in Chile to use a knife as well as they could, laid his cane over the shoulders of him who had had the honor to know a consul once before, and broke up the party. There is an old-fashioned feeling of respect for a man who wears a sword, but that feeling wears off in Central America. Chapter 3 journey to San Salvador, a new companion, San Alejo, San Miguel, war alarms, another countryman, state of San Salvador, river Lempa, San Vicente, volcano of San Vicente, thermal springs, Cojutepeque, arrival at San Salvador, prejudice against foreigners, contributions, press gangs, Vice-President Vigil, taking of San Miguel and San Vicente, rumors of a march upon San Salvador, departure from San Salvador. At five o'clock the next afternoon we set out for San Salvador. Don Manuel Romero furnished me with letters of introduction to all the jefes politicos, and the captain's name was inserted in my passport. I must introduce the reader to my new friend, Captain Antonio V. F., a little over thirty, when six months out on a whaling voyage, with a leaky ship and a mutinous crew, steered across the Pacific for the continent of America, and reached the port of La Union, with seven or eight feet of water in the hold, and half his crew in irons. He knew nothing of Central America until necessity threw him upon its shore. While waiting the slow process of a regular condemnation and order for the sale of his ship, General Morazan, with an escort of officers, came to the port to embark his wife and family for Chile. Captain F. had become acquainted with them, and through them with their side of the politics of the country and in the evening, while we were riding along the ridge of a high mountain, 
he told me that he had been offered a lieutenant-colonel's commission and was then on his way to join morazan in his march against guatemala his ship was advertised for sale he had written an account of his misadventures to his owners and his wife was tired of remaining at the port and a campaign with morazan was the only thing that offered he liked general morazan and he liked the country and thought his wife would if morazan succeeded there would be vacant offices and estates without owners and some of them worth having he went from whaling to campaigning as coolly as a yankee would from cutting down trees to editing a newspaper it was no affair of mine but i suggested that there was no honor to be gained that he would get his full share of hard knocks bullets and sword cuts that if morazan succeeded he would have a desperate struggle for his share of the spoils and if morazan failed he would certainly be shot all this was matter he had thought on and before committing himself he intended to make his observations at san salvador at ten o'clock we reached the village of san alejo and stopped at a very comfortable house where all were in a state of excitement from a report of an invasion from honduras early the next morning we started with a new guide and a little beyond the village he pointed out a place where his uncle was murdered and robbed about a year before four of the robbers were caught and sent by the alcalde under a guard of the relations of the murdered man to san miguel with directions to the guard to shoot them if refractory the guard found them refractory at the very place where the murder had been committed and shot them on the spot at eight o'clock we came in sight of the volcano of san miguel and at two entered the city riding up the street we passed a large church with its front fallen and saw paintings on the walls and an altar forty feet high with columns and images sculptured and gilded exposed to the open air all along the road we had heard of war and we found the city in a state of great excitement the troops of honduras were marching upon it and then only twelve leagues distant there were no soldiers to defend it all had been drawn off for morazan's expedition many of the citizens had already fled in fact the town was half depopulated and the rest were preparing to save themselves by concealment or flight we stopped at the house of john or don juan denning an american from connecticut who had sold an armed brig to the federal government and commanded her himself during the blockade of Omoa, but had married in the country and for several years lived retired on his hacienda his house was deserted and stripped the furniture and valuables were hidden and his mother-in-law an old lady remained in the empty tenement nobody thought of resistance and the captain bought a silver-mounted sword from one of the most respectable citizens who was converting his useless trappings into money and who with a little trunk in his hand containing la plata pointed to a fine horse in the courtyard and without a blush on his face said that was his security 
the captain had great difficulty in procuring mules he had two enormous trunks containing among other things peruvian chains and other gold trinkets to a large amount in fact all he was worth in the evening we walked to the plaza groups of men wrapped in their ponchos were discussing in low tones the movements of the enemy how far they had marched that day how long they would require for rest and the moment when it would be necessary to fly we returned to the house placed two naked wood-bottomed bedsteads in one and having ascertained by calculation that we were not likely to be disturbed during the night forgot the troubles of the flying inhabitants and slept soundly on account of the difficulty of procuring mules we did not set out till ten o'clock the climate is the hottest in central america and insalubrious under exposure to the sun but we would not wait every moment there were new rumors of the approach of the honduras army and it was all important for us to keep in advance of them i shall hasten over our hurried journey through the state of san salvador the richest in central america extending a hundred and eighty miles along the shores of the pacific producing tobacco the best indigo and richest balsam in the world we had mountains and rivers valleys and immense ravines and the three great volcanoes of san miguel san vicente and san salvador one or the other of which was almost constantly in sight the whole surface is volcanic for miles the road lay over beds of decomposed lava inducing the belief that here the whole shore of the pacific is an immense arch over subterraneous fires from the time of the independence this state stood foremost in the maintenance of liberal principles and throughout it exhibits an appearance of improvement a freedom from bigotry and fanaticism and a development of physical and moral energy not found in any other the san salvadorians are the only men who speak of maintaining the integrity of the republic as a point of national honor in the afternoon of the second day we came in sight of the lempa now a gigantic river rolling on to the pacific three months before i had seen it a little stream among the mountains of esquipulas here we were overtaken by don carlos rivas a leading liberal from honduras flying for life before partisan soldiers of his own state we descended to the bank of the river and followed it through a wild forest which had been swept by a tornado the trees still lying as they fell at the crossing place the valley of the river was half a mile wide but being the dry season on this side there was a broad beach of sand and stones we rode to the water's edge and shouted for the boatmen on the opposite side other parties arrived all fugitives among them the wife and family of don carlos and we formed a crowd upon the shore at length the boat came took on board sixteen mules saddles and luggage and as many men women and children as could stow themselves away leaving a multitude behind we crossed in the dark and on the opposite side found every hut and shed filled with fugitives families in dark masses were under the trees 
and men and women crawled out to congratulate friends who had put the lempa between them and the enemy we slept upon our luggage on the bank of the river and before daylight were again in the saddle that night we slept at san vicente and the next morning the captain in company with an invalid officer of morazan's who had been prevented by sickness from accompanying the general in his march against guatemala rode on with the luggage while i with colonel oyas made a circuit to visit el infierno of the volcano of san vicente crossing a beautiful plain running to the base of the volcano we left our animals at a hut and walked some distance to a stream in a deep ravine which we followed upward to its source coming from the very base of the volcano the water was warm and had a taste of vitriol and the banks were encrusted with white vitriol and flour of sulphur at a distance of one or two hundred yards it formed a basin where the water was hotter than the highest grade on my remuer's thermometer in several places we heard subterranean noises and toward the end of the ravine on the slope of one side was an orifice about thirty feet in diameter from which with terrific noise boiling water was spouted into the air this is called el infiernillo or the little infernal regions the inhabitants say that the noise is increased by the slightest agitation of the air even by the human voice approaching to within range of the falling water we shouted several times and as we listened and gazed into the fearful cavity i imagined that the noise was louder and more angry and that the boiling water spouted higher at our call colonel oyas conducted me to a path from which i saw my road like a white line over a high verdant mountain he told me that many of the inhabitants of san miguel had fled to san vicente and at that place the honduras arms would be repelled we parted little expecting to see each other again so soon and under such unpleasant circumstances for him i overtook the captain at a village where he had breakfast prepared and in the afternoon we arrived at cojutepeque until within two days the temporary capital beautifully situated at the foot of a small extinct volcano its green and verdant sides broken only by a winding path and on the top a fortress which morazan had built as his last rallying place to die under the flag of the republic the next day at one o'clock we reached san salvador entering by a fine gate and through suburbs teeming with fruit and flower trees the meanness of the houses was hardly noticed advancing we saw heaps of rubbish and large houses with their fronts cracked and falling marks of the earthquakes which had broken it up as the seat of government and almost depopulated the city this series of earthquakes commenced on the third of the preceding october the same day on which i sailed for that country and for twenty days the earth was tremulous sometimes suffering fifteen or twenty shocks in twenty-four hours and one so severe that as mr chatfield told me a bottle standing in his sleeping-room was thrown down most of the inhabitants abandoned the city 
and those who remained slept under matting in the courtyards of their houses every house was more or less injured some were rendered untenantable and many were thrown down two days before the vice-president and officers of the federal and state governments impelled by the crisis of the times had returned to their shattered capital it was about one o'clock intensely hot and there was no shade the streets were solitary the doors and windows of the houses closed the shops around the plaza shut the little matted tents of the market women deserted and the inhabitants forgetting earthquakes and that a hostile army was marching upon them were taking their noonday siesta in a corner of the plaza was a barricado constructed with trunks of trees rude as an indian fortress and fortified with cannon intended as the scene of the last effort for the preservation of the city a few soldiers were asleep under the corridor of the quartel and a sentinel was pacing before the door inquiring our way of him we turned the corner of the plaza and stopped at the house of don pedro negrete at that time acting as vice-consul both of england and france and the only representative at the capital of any foreign power it was one of the features of this unhappy revolution that the liberal party before the friends and supporters of foreigners manifested a violent feeling against them particularly the english ostensibly on account of their occupation of the miserable little island of roatan in the bay of honduras the press that is a little weekly published at san salvador teemed with inflammatory articles against los ingleses their usurpation and ambition and their unjust design of adding to their extended dominions the republic of central america it was a desperate effort to sustain a party menaced with destruction by rousing the national prejudice against strangers a development of this spirit was seen in the treaty of alliance between san salvador and quetzaltenango the only two states that sustained the federal government by which in august preceding it was agreed that their delegates to the national convention should be instructed to treat in preference to all other things upon measures to be taken for the recovery of the island of roatan and that no production of english soil or industry even though it came under the flag of another nation and no effect of any other nation though a friendly one if it came in an english vessel should be admitted into the territory until england restored to central america the possession of that island i do not mean to say that they were wrong in putting forth their claims to this island the english flag was planted upon it in a very summary way nor that they were wrong in recommending the only means in their power to redress what they considered an injury for as england had not declared war with china it would have been rash for the states of san salvador and los altos to involve themselves in hostilities with that overgrown power but no formal complaint was ever made and no negotiation proposed and on the publication of this treaty which mr chatfield the british consul-general considered disrespectful and injurious to his government 
he addressed a note to the vice-president requesting a categorical answer to the question if the federal government did exist or not precisely what i was anxious to know to which he received no answer afterward mr chatfield visited nicaragua and the government of that state sent him a communication requesting his mediation in settling the difficulties between the states of san salvador and honduras then at war and through him the guarantee of the queen of england to compel the fulfilment of any treaty made between them mr chatfield in his answer referred to his letter to the vice-president and spoke of the government as the so-called federal government the correspondence was published and increased the exasperation against mr chatfield and foreigners generally they were denounced as instigators and supporters of the revolution their rights and privileges as residents discussed and finally the injustice of their enjoying the protection of the government without contributing to the expenses of supporting it the result was that on the levying of a new forced loan foreigners were included in the liability and a peremptory order was issued requiring them in case of refusal to pay to leave the country in eight days the foreigners were violently exasperated there were not more than a dozen in the state and most of them being engaged in business which it would be ruinous to leave were compelled to pay two or three who wanted to leave before walked off and called themselves martyrs threatened the vengeance of their government and talked of the arrival of a british ship of war mr kilgore a british subject refused to pay the authorities had orders to give him his passport to leave the state don pedro negrete as vice-consul of france encargado de la inglaterra presented a remonstrance the vice-president's answer in part but too true as it contains the grounds of the law and shows the state of feeling existing at the time i give in his own words Quote, strangers in these barbarous countries as they call them ought not to expect to have the advantage of being protected in their property without aiding the government in it we are poor and if in any of the convulsions which are so frequent in new countries that have hardly begun their political career strangers suffer losses they at once have recourse to their governments that the nations in which they come to speculate not without knowledge of the risks pay them double or treble of what they have lost this is unjust in every point of view when they do not care with a slight loan to aid the government in its most urgent necessities what ought the government to do to tell them away with you i cannot secure your property or lend me a certain sum in order to enable me to secure it on the other hand if it happens that a strong party or faction as it is called prevails and falls upon your property the same as upon the property of the sons of the country and the public rents and you complain to your nation she comes and blockades our ports and makes the poor nation pay a thousand percent mr mercer a french merchant was absent at the time of enforcing the contributions 
Don Pedro was his agent under a power of attorney, and had charge of his goods, and refused to pay. The government insisted. Don Pedro was determined. The government sent soldiers to his house. Don Pedro said he would hoist the French flag. The chief of the state said he would tear it down. Don Pedro was imprisoned in his own house, his family excluded from him, and his food handed in by a soldier until a friend paid the money. Don Pedro contended that the majesty of France was violated in his person. The government said that the proceedings were against him as the agent of Mercer and not as French consul. But anyway, consul or agent, Don Pedro's body bore the brunt, and as this took place but two days before our arrival, Don Pedro was still in bed from the indisposition brought upon him by vexation and anxiety. We received the above with many details from Don Pedro's son as an apology for his father's absence and an explanation of the ravings we heard in the adjoining room. End of section 3